Every once in a while, a breakthrough happens for kids with rare genetic disorders. What are the clinical and quality of life issues that those breakthroughs bring? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And our guest is Dr. David Tichy, a practicing pediatric hematologist, oncologist, a world-class laboratory and clinical researcher, and an instructor in the Department of Pediatrics Division of Oncology at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Dr. Tichy and I are discussing his research breakthrough helping children with the rare genetic disorder, autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome. Dr. Tichy, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Dr. Bloom. So tell us what autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome is. Autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome is a rare disorder of disrupted lymphocyte homeostasis. Normally, as part of downregulation of the immune response, so after a person gets a cold or a flu or some other insult, the immune system gets upregulated. And then once it's upregulated and it's ready to turn down, our B and T cells, part of our immune cells, upregulate a protein called FAS, and our T cells upregulate a protein called FAS ligand. These two interact and trigger the caspase cascade, leading to proteolysis, DNA degradation, and apoptosis. Patients with ALPS have a defect in this FAS apoptotic pathway, which leads to abnormal lymphocyte survival. Subsequently, since lymphocytes or white blood cells or immune cells live longer than they should, this leads to chronic lymphoproliferation. So these white cells, these immune cells build up in our lymph nodes, our spleens, and our liver. And then with time, it leads to autoimmunity. So our immune system is so revved up, it attacks itself, and it can destroy our blood cells, leading to anemia, low platelet counts, low neutrophil counts and infections. It can lead to attacking pretty much any organ system. It can cause arthritis. It can cause lung disease. It can cause heart disease. It can cause colitis and then a propensity to develop cancer down the road. And do we know why the autoimmunity starts to happen? There's a lot of theories on why the autoimmunity starts to happen. It's thought to be that when your immune cells get triggered and stimulated for so long, they lose the ability to recognize foreign from self, and then they start attacking self antigens on the surface of cells. It's thought to be driven by a number of cytokines, including interleukin-10, but a lot of exactly why patients with this particular defect in apoptosis develop autoimmunity is unknown. However, we do know that a lot of autoimmune diseases that are out there, multiple sclerosis, systemic lupus erythematosus, Guillain-Barre, a lot of these have some kind of immune dysregulation that leads to attacking self. In fact, a lot of immunodeficiency diseases where somebody is born without part of the immune system, one of the primary clinical manifestations isn't infection. A lot of times it's that you develop autoimmunity. How'd you get involved in researching ALPS in the pediatric population? In my hematology clinic, my blood disorder clinic, I was following a number of children with a condition called Evans syndrome, which is a disorder where patients have autoimmunity, where they destroy their multiple blood cell types, and we don't know why. It's what we call an idiopathic disorder. And it dawned on me that a number of these children had a phenotype similar to this recently described condition called ALPS. So set up a trial first at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, to screen these patients with Evans for this genetic disease, ALPS, and then at children's hospitals nationwide, and we found that about a third to half of the patients who had been diagnosed with Evans syndrome, in fact, have ALPS, and that's what got me interested in the disease, 
And then it, I realized treating these patients that there weren't that many excellent or good medicines to help control their autoimmune state. What were the drugs that you used to use for ALPS? Most of them were very nonspecific immunosuppressive medicines, the most common being steroids. ALPS patients kind of fall into two baskets. Some patients have the condition, they have swollen glands, they pretty much lead normal lives, and they don't need that much, or occasionally they might have an autoimmune flare where they need a pulse of steroids or something mild, versus there are another subset of patients who have very significant, very severe disease that are frequent in the hospital, chronically needing medications. I had one patient, one of the first ones I got interested in, for example, who Every time that he'd stop taking steroids, um, his hemoglobin would drop from a normal range of 14 to 15 grams per deciliter to three, so sick enough to be in intensive care within a 48-hour period. So he was chronically on big gun immunosuppressive medicines without that much response. How common is ALPS? It's a relatively rare disorder, only been described in about 300 patients. I think part of the rarity, though, is physicians aren't aware the condition even exists. So it's not something that I studied in medical school. It's kind of something that I happened upon early in my training just by reading some stuff on some other patients. Part of the thing we've been doing is actually looking to see if disease was more common. So Evans syndrome is a more common condition that we identify. And again, a third of these patients, maybe half of them actually have ALPS. So ALPS may be more common than previously thought. Are there any other diseases that ALPS might be masquerading as? Well, I think the one that sometimes there could be some masquerading is a similar disorder as lupus, which most people have probably heard of. And the genetic pathway involved in lupus is very similar to the pathway involved in ALPS. Their phenotypes are very similar. So I could easily see a patient with ALPS getting called lupus or lupus getting called ALPS. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. David Tichy, pediatric hematologist, oncologist, and clinical researcher at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, about his research breakthrough helping children with the rare genetic disorder, autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome. So what would you say to our physician audience who are treating kids to help them identify patients who might actually have ALPS? That's an excellent question. I think if you have any patient who has unexplained lymphadenopathy, so big glands that are chronic, so over a few months, or a big spleen that you can't explain, and it presented in childhood, it's worth looking into the condition. I think if you have any patient who has significant autoimmunity without an identifiable cause, so not just destroying one blood cell type or having one organ system affected, but having multiple organ systems affected, it's worth looking into the diagnosis of ALPS. If you have a patient who has both, so they both have easily identified lymphoproliferation and autoimmunity, then they're definitely someone who should be screened. The difficulty in diagnosing ALPS is there's two blood tests to diagnose the disease, one of which is done in a clinical lab. However, there's only a few places in the country that actually has the test set up. And then the other one's only done in a research setting, and there's only two or three places in the entire nation who actually can do the definitive test. My lab is one at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and then the people who've been at the forefront of this disease for a long time, um, the National Institute of Health, has been testing for this for quite a while. And tell us about that story. It's very interesting how they first identified this as a real human disease. All the credit goes to a group of scientists at the National Institute of Health, um, Dr. Strauss, Dr. Sneller, Dr. Puck, and uh, Leonardo, and a bunch of other ones, who basically they were researching a mouse 
that developed a similar phenotype to children of Phelps. So these mice had big glands, big spleen, and autoimmunity. People were using it for a long time as a mouse model of lupus. However, lupus patients don't get big glands, big livers, big spleens. And they identified the gene that was involved that caused the big glands in these mice. At the same time, some of the clinicians at the National Institute of were following children that they said looked a lot like these mice. So they basically tested the children. They see that they had the similar genetic defect as the mice, and they actually identified the disease through identifying the mouse first. And you were able to use that mouse model later on to test this new drug that you've been using on these patients. Actually, it's an old drug that you repurposed called rapamycin. That is correct. Tell us why you thought rapamycin might work for these patients. So I had been investigating with Dr. Grupp and others at my institution the use of rapamycin in pediatric leukemia. And one of the things that we and other groups had discovered is that rapamycin works by causing apoptosis or normal cell death in B and T lymphocytes. ALPS, as I mentioned earlier, patients have a defect in lymphocyte apoptosis. So it seemed a reasonable hypothesis. We have a drug that can cause lymphocyte apoptosis. We have a patient who have a defect in lymphocyte apoptosis that this drug might be effective in these patients. Is rapamycin a safe drug for these kids to take? Presumably so. Rapamycin has been around for over 20 years. It was first developed as a thought to be an antifungal agent discovered off the shores of Easter Island or Rapa Nui, which is how it got its name. And it's been used in clinical trials for a number of diseases for many years. So there's a, a lot of clinical experience with this drug, and it's extremely safe. Nevertheless, before you try it in any new disease, you have to make sure there's no unexpected adverse effects that might be unique to that disease, which is one of the reasons that we tested the drug for both efficacy but also safety in the mouse model prior to testing it in kids. And have you been able to use this on any human patients? Yes, we have. So after obtaining funding for the Two Cures initiative, we then started testing it and tested the mice. We found that it worked in the mice, then we moved it to patients, and so far we've tested a total of three patients with great success. What other diseases do you think might benefit from this rapamycin repurposing? Other autoimmune diseases may benefit as well. I mean, there's a lot of autoimmune diseases out there that are some similar to ALPS, some different. Um, there's a number of lymphoplifrid diseases as well. Currently, we're looking at the utility of rapamycin in a rare condition called hematophagocystic lymphocytosis, big long word, and also another condition called Castleman's disease, two other rare conditions that are involved in lymphocyte dysregulation. There is some work out there suggesting that rapamycin may be effective in lupus, and there's some clinical trials going on as well. And as I mentioned earlier, we're also looking at rapamycin in childhood leukemia. Do these kids that have ALPS develop it from birth, or is it something that gets triggered partway through their development? It's probably a multifactorial cause. So most patients with ALPS have an identifiable genetic mutation in the FAST pathway. Probably the ones that don't, there's probably a mutation that we just don't know what to look for yet. So you're born of something, and there's probably an environmental hit or a second genetic hit that trigger the disease when they're young. And the only reason I say that is if you look at families of patients with ALPS, you find family members who have the same genetic defect, however, don't have the same disease phenotype. They might have something very mild, but a lot of times they're not affected. So it suggests that you're born of something, and then you get the wrong cold, the wrong virus, the wrong flu at a young age, and it triggers this whole process that never shuts itself back down. And do we have any idea why that immune response might trigger somebody to go from 
not having a disease to having a disease? It's an excellent question, and it's something being looked into, but as of now, no. Parents and physicians of children with rare diseases are frustrated that there's often no money to support orphan disease research. Sometimes they take matters into their own hands and create a breakthrough. I want to thank our guest, Dr. David Tichy, a practicing pediatric hematologist, oncologist, a world-class laboratory and clinical researcher, and an instructor in the Department of Pediatrics Division of Oncology at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia for talking to us about his research breakthrough helping children with the rare genetic disorder, autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.